Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Today we have the very first of Jesus' glorifying miracles, sign miracles, manifesting his glory, as told by John, the mystical theologian, in his typical rich poetic symbolism. This story today at the wedding of Cana is really a story about the relationship between God and man, a story which began in joy then turn tragic, but which concludes in a much greater glory. In order to make sense of the dialogue, we must understand that the actors are actually playing themselves in this symbolic play, which depicts the calamitous conditions of mankind and also prefigures the coming resolution in a short while. The setting is a wedding, turn sad on the third day. And there are numerous characters in the story, but the chief players are the woman and her son, the man. It opens up in John's second chapter saying, now on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. Mary, as the woman, as Christ calls her, is clearly recapitulating Eve, just as Jesus is the new Adam. And the failures of our first parents are being shown to be undone, the lost joy redeemed. The woman, who will also stand at the foot of the cross and be called again the woman, stands now before her son, who is the living one. She is the mother of the living one. And she intercedes on behalf of this couple who are about to suffer potential shame and loss. And the role that she plays in the actual wedding itself as a historical real story is the same role she plays in the drama that John is painting for us and writing. And it is the same role that she plays in our lives today. Mother intercessor, provider, troubleshooter, as only a good Jewish mother could. (laughs) Troubleshooter, comforter, protector of our joy. All of these things she does, both at the wedding and in John's story and in our lives. And what's so fascinating to me in this story, which has so many fascinating details in it, but is how comfortable and confident she is in her role. And John wanted to communicate that. I mean, the awkwardness of the whole thing and the relationship and what's transpiring between her and Christ. John intended, you know, to raise all of these questions in your mind as you read this. So there she is, Jesus. She comes to Jesus. 
Jesus, uh, the wine is gone. They have no more wine. Jesus responds to her, woman, why are you telling me this? What does this have to do with me? Now I can imagine right at this moment a slight pause where he's waiting for her to answer, but instead of saying anything, she just sort of raises her eyebrows as if to say, you know full well why I'm telling you this, and I need you to do something about it. Jesus reinforces his position and says, this is not my hour. There's another pause, maybe another raised brow, and with absolutely no acknowledgement to his protest, she just turns to the servants and instructs them, do whatever he tells you. I mean, it's a beautiful scene. It's brilliantly written by, by John. And we know the rest of the story. The weak and insipid water of the six-day-old covenant, which has no real power to provide eternal joy or to transform man's stony heart, is changed into the life-giving divine blood wine, which will ultimately realize the union of God and man in the cosmic wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's all there in the story, beautifully told. But the fascinating thing here is her confidence. She is completely unfazed by Jesus' response, which is and comes off as a gentle rebuke of sorts. It was not his hour, but he did the miracle anyway. He did the miracle for her and as a sign of what would shortly take place. Among all the things John is communicating to us in this story, he is certainly depicting the woman, the mother of the living one, in her role as confidence and peace with herself and what she had to do. She gives a command. She gives a command not just to the servants, but she gives a command to all of us. Whatever he tells you, do it. Jesus didn't respond to her saying, Now, mother, did you not hear what I just said? Are you ignoring me? I said, it is not my hour. You can't just push me around, by the way, anyway. I mean, let's remember who's God in this relationship. <laughs> he did not respond that way. <laughs> I don't think he was embarrassed by his mother that she had pulled rank on him in front of the servants. He wasn't feeling unsure of himself, what he was about. Neither was she. After his mother, the woman spoke, Jesus said nothing to her. He simply turned to the servants standing there and told them to go fill the clay jars with water. We have in this, this exchange, this story, the two most perfect human beings who've ever lived. This is how they, this is how they talk to one another in a situation like this. This is how they relate to one another. One of them, of course, being one of the persons in the triune Godhead. This is not, there's no contest of wills here. That is not what this is about. Not in the least. Neither Jesus nor his mother are questioning themselves. They know who they are and they know what they're about. In this brief but profound encounter, we are witnessing how two people, two human beings, one being the God-man, who are completely at peace with themselves and with God and are completely confident in knowing what they are about, how to behave towards one another. I don't think John could have better communicated the absolute 
perfect self-knowledge and inner peace that Jesus and Mary have, as he does in this exchange. They understand peace with God and unfeigned love. Knowing oneself and being at peace with oneself really is at the root of holiness and joy. And that is the only way to please God, for us to be who he has made us to be, to be at peace with who he has made us to be, to be comfortable in our own skin. You know, St. Paul says all of this sort of in his epistle. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. You know, if you've been called to do this, then do this. Do it cheerfully. Do it diligently. Do it responsibly. Do it with joy. If we're trying to be something else, something other than we are, someone else, all we'll have is anxiety and insecurity and, the most destructive of all, envy. You realize envy is what drove Lucifer to rebel. It was his envy of man and man's particular distinct relationship to God that caused Lucifer to rebel and the great fall. It was envy. Our Blessed Mother delivered her complaint, and there was silence. She didn't waver. She didn't question herself. She didn't question her intercession. She never missed a beat. Because she loved so perfectly, so trustingly, she knew who she was and what she was about. She had confidence before God, and she met the silence of her son with a command, and her voice was heeded. St. Paul tells us in our epistle. Let love be without hypocrisy. That short little phrase sort of sums up everything he says in our epistle. Let love be without hypocrisy. Our love, our way of living and being, of relating to one another, must be without hypocrisy. It must be true, unfeigned, sincere, simple, straightforward and comfortable not self-conscious, not manipulative, childlike. That is how we are to live and relate to one another. And when we have peace in our hearts towards God, then we'll be able to live in this way. It's a harmonious way of life with our brethren. And we'll have confidence, as he promises, when we approach the throne of God, seeking mercy in the times of need. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.